and welcome to She Thinks a Podcast, where you're allowed to think for yourself. I'm your host, Beverly Hallberg, and on today's episode, we feature this month's policy focus entitled, Gun Control Doesn't Keep Us Safer. We'll look into the realities of increasing crime across the country, the common misperceptions of gun control, the solutions that have worked, and why public safety should be the first responsibility of our elected officials. And joining us is the author of this policy focus, Laura Carno. Laura Carno is a senior fellow at Independent Women's Forum, political media strategist, and the founder and executive director of Faster Colorado, an organization that trains armed K-12 school staff at no cost to the school. Laura is the author of Government Ruins Nearly Everything, Reclaiming Social Issues from Uncivil Servants. And it's a pleasure to have her on She Thinks today. Laura, thank you so much for being here. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. And I want to let all of our listeners know that if they are interested in reading more about the policy focus, again, entitled Gun Control Doesn't Keep Us Safer, you can go to IWF.org, read it there, share it with people in your life, because this is such an important issue, especially as gun control continues to be this phrase that we're hearing over and over and over again. But I I just want to start first by thinking about crime as a whole. Uh, As we look at the midterms coming up, crime is one of the most important issues that people are concerned about in the country. And I thought we'd start by just breaking down how bad crime is. Is it really getting this bad or is this just the nature of 24-7 news that likes to be very hyperbolic in their news coverage? What is the reality? Yeah, it's actually getting worse. Um, And it's um, getting worse really um, across the whole country. There's a little bit of of difference between um, policies in um, you know, different big cities versus other big cities, um, but by and large, crime is getting um, getting out of hand. Um, and this actually, it's not just today; it's not just um, this year. But this has really been an, an up an upward trend since um, 2020 uh, during the COVID lockdowns. We'll remember that there were many areas where they. Um, uh, let prisoners out and that sort of thing. So it, um, it's been a, a little bit longer trend than just now. Um, but gosh, people have uh, been trying to figure out how do they take um, steps to make sure that their own family is safe. And are we seeing crime go up, go up, not just in cities, not just New York City, D.C., et cetera, but also in small towns across the country, too? Is there an uptick as a whole? Yeah. And so it's interesting question. I'm sitting here in Colorado right now and Colorado, which you wouldn't look at as, you know, the, the crime capital of the world, but Colorado is now number one in auto thefts. And you, you say, what the heck is going on in a state like Colorado, which, um, you know, maybe it's leaning a little bit more blue these days, but it's a pretty purple state. And, um, so it's, it, it's not just in, um, the big cities, you know, the Chicago, Detroit, Washington, DC that we typically think of when we think of the highest crime cities. And something that has been surprising to me, and I'm sure to others, as we see these videos that go viral, security footage of crimes taking place. One recently that I saw this week was a woman who was working in the New York subway system. A homeless man ends up attacking her, uh, continues to kick her. A man tries to stop it, but then that man gets scared off by this violent man. I feel like as a woman these days, it's even scarier because it doesn't seem like there are as many concerned citizens helping people out who are being attacked. Is that an additional concern, not just that crime is going up, but fewer and fewer people are helping their neighbors? 
Yeah, you know, we've all been locked down for quite a while. And, uh, and so you, you ask yourself the question, have, have we lost that ability uh, to interact the, the way that we used to with our neighbors? Um, but, but you're right, you know, women, um, it's interesting when you look at the numbers on um, conceal, new concealed increases in women. And, um, you know, it, it, and it's not, um, you know, the, the, the term mama bear is a thing. And um, moms, believe that it's their job to keep their children safe when they're out and about. Um, and, and so it is of, of significant uh, uh, interest to women. The other interesting thing, um, you know, specifically for firearms, because, uh, you know, we're seeing this big increase in concealed carry permit holders um, among women, um, guns are the great equalizer. So if you're a, you know, 130 pound woman and your assailant um, is statistically a man, statistically is going to be bigger than 130 pounds. How do you save yourself with just your fists or, or whatever else you have? And a lot of women are looking at, um, at owning a firearm, getting well trained is a key point there, um, so that they can defend themselves and their family. Well, let's talk about then just gun control uh, as a whole, those and those as well who are interested in buying guns. I want to get down to some of the data on that. Now, when we see horrific mass shootings take place, Uvalde, Texas, of course, is the most recent one that comes to mind. There are all these then echoes that we hear from people about gun control is so needed. We need to get guns out of the hands of people who want to do harm. First, I want to just talk about gun control, the rise of gun control. Where are we legislatively, both on a federal level and on state levels, maybe some states you want to highlight, as far as getting tougher, making restrictions tougher for law-abiding citizens to be able to have a gun to protect themselves? Important to, um, um, just to back up to the term you used, getting guns out of the hands of people who shouldn't have them. Uh, we can all agree, let's focus on some things we can agree on. We can all agree that we don't want people with criminal backgrounds, uh, especially violent, felonious criminal backgrounds to have access to firearms. Flat out, we all agree. We don't want to see any more crime. Nobody wants to see it, whether it's committed with a firearm, with a knife, with fists, with a car running somebody over. Nobody wants to see more violent crime. So let's just agree on that. So what we need to look at is what are the things that have been proven to reduce crime versus the things that sound good on paper? Because there's some things that sound really good, like let's just take all of the guns away from everybody. And that's, uh, that's just not a fact out there um, when we look at, at what happens around the world. Um, so let's start with federally what's going on. And, and this um, switches with every uh, administration, with every majority. Um, but right now in Congress, um, there's a, a one-party majority that is pushing gun control. What's interesting, though, is the, the U.S. Senate, which does have a majority um, of Democrats, isn't passing gun control. Something will pass the House, it goes to the Senate, and by and large, it's not passing um, the U.S. Senate. And that's because um, I, I believe that uh, that the United States is a, a, a fairly gun rights, um, you know, leans in that direction. And so there there is such a thing as a, a Democrat senator from a state that would boot them out of office if they voted for gun control. So um, not much is going to happen uh, likely at the federal level, um, but state by state, uh, that's definitely 
um, a different story. And it really depends. Does there tend to be a um, more of a, a pro-gun rights uh, a majority or a pro-gun control majority. And that tends to go along party line. Uh, Democrats tend to um, uh, not be in favor of gun rights and uh, Republicans tend not to be in favor of gun control. And those are just uh, broad tendencies. And I was hoping you could dispel some of the common misperceptions about gun control. When when there is talk about gun control, we often hear about assault weapons, AR-15s come up. We also hear about we need background checks. What currently is the standard on background checks? Are we checking everyone? And should we be calling the AR-15 an assault weapon? Yeah, so um, thank you for bringing that up. Um, assault weapon, and I always put um, scare quotes around that because it, there is no firearm called an assault weapon. There's nothing in laws saying that um, this is the definition of one. It tends to be um, uh, whoever the lawmaker is, they don't like that particular firearm, so they call it an assault weapon. They tend to use that term with most of us just call them rifles. Um, but in the 1990s, um, there was a, um, and this was during the Clinton administration, there was a so-called assault weapon ban and it um, sunsetted. And so there was an opportunity to say what happened before, what happened during the ban, and then what happened after. And um, there's all kinds of analysis out there. Um, there's a the piece that I always quote is from the Los Angeles Times, um, uh, their analysis of the actual study, there was no difference. Um, it didn't make anybody safer. Um, the reason that the LA Times article is interesting is they also talk about the California um, magazine limitation. And um, they found that that didn't uh, make any difference in crime. So you have to ask yourself the question at the federal level, um, and the president for sure keeps talking about um, a, a so-called assault weapons ban. Um, but at state at state legislatures um, that are saying we want to ban um, these guns um, here in my state of Colorado, it's not happening at a state level. But at a municipal level, there are cities that are saying you can't have that sort of firearm in our city. So you could be standing in the middle of the street and be legal over here, illegal over here. Doesn't make a lot of sense, especially because they've never these bans have never um, been documented to make people safer. And so I, I want to turn now to what have we found to work? What are the solutions that do work? I think both you and I would agree that the gun control does not lead to less crime and to make people safer. How should we view something like the tragic death and mass shooting that took place in Uvalde, Texas? If, if taking away guns isn't the answer, what is? Yeah. And that's, um, Uvalde is such a horror to all of us. And, um, it seems like every time new news comes out of there, it leaves us scratching our heads like, what the heck? Um, if you look at what happened before that massacre, um, what was known about the killer, what people knew about him, what, um, they didn't take any action on, um, there were, there was so much that could have gone into the, um, database so that when he went to a gun store to purchase a firearm, he wouldn't have been able to buy one legally. Um, and, and you'd asked before, um, and I forgot to answer this, quite a national standard for um, instant background checks. So um, some states use the, the federal system and some states use their own state system. Um, but it's been law for a very long time. 
that every um, every state has to have some method of being able to do instant background checks. Now, the key is, is what is going into the system to, to flag who shouldn't have um, have access to a firearm. Um, we saw the same thing in Fort Hood, Texas, um, and and in uh, Sutherland Springs, Texas, where there were things that happened in these killers' past that absolutely should have put them in that next database um, so that they wouldn't have been able to legally buy a gun. But let's not kid ourselves. Um, if all of those things were followed in the beginning and those killers weren't able to legally go and gun, they could have figured out how to get it somewhere else. Only 1.3% of criminals who are in prison for having used a firearm violently got their firearm at a gun store. So that's almost everybody got their gun somewhere else. So let's not kid ourselves that if um, everything goes through a background check, um, that criminals aren't still going to be able um, to get their guns. Um, and then you go up, up to the moment of what happened um, at Uvalde. And as somebody who uh, runs a program where we train armed school personnel, this is what I do, um, the horror that those two teachers were stuck inside a classroom trying to protect those children with their bodies because that's all they had while law enforcement waited outside carnage in that room or less carnage in that room. And I think the answer is obvious. If they were in that room with the ability to save those children and save themselves, there was at least a chance that they could do something. So that's another law that makes people less safer because the killer didn't care that it was a gun-free zone, but those teachers and other school staff members in there were, you know, federally unable um, to have a firearm there to protect children. And what do you say to, especially women out there, you know, you said that women are, are buying guns in record numbers, but let's say one of those teachers, or I, I know I spoke to a teacher recently and she said, I don't feel comfortable having a gun and learning how to use it. So not every teacher is going to want to have a gun. I think it's a reasonable thing to talk about teachers having that ability should they want to. But do you think that the solution, especially in schools, is more than just teachers having the ability to be armed? Do you think it's also about security personnel on the, the campus of the school, too? Yeah, you know, I'm a fan of all of the above. Um, whatever it takes to secure our children, um, you know, we we keep our Congress people, our money in the banks. We keep all, we keep so many things safer than our children. Um, when I think arguably our children, and I'm a grandma now, so my grandchildren, um, the most precious thing to me on this earth. Um, and, and I'll uh, just clarify a term because we often hear about armed teachers. Um, in the six years we've been running our training program, only 40% of the people we see come through our um, the other 60% are principals and janitors and coaches and lunch ladies and school nurses and people who might be at any time somewhere else in the school um, as opposed to just one classroom. Um, so it, just to help people understand that, that it's not necessarily just um, the teachers. But you're right. I'm in favor of school resource officers who do who provide security in addition to um, helping students have a good relationship with law enforcement throughout their lives. Um, additional um, armed security is great. What I like about the addition of an armed um, school personnel program is that they can be anywhere and they are concealed. So if, um, and we've seen so often in these school killings that school resource officer is across campus or leaves for lunch or 
they're not going to start their killing right in front of the school resource officer or other uniformed um, uh, security. So it's good, just like in the rest of society, to have additional um, backup in the in the form of um, concealed carry holders. And that happens in school. To your point about um, a lot of teachers don't want to carry, great. A lot of people in society don't want to carry a concealed firearm. And not everybody should. Um, you certainly, it's a big responsibility and a big decision if you make that decision to carry a concealed firearm with you. And being a school employee is no different. Well, I want to take a brief moment to talk to you, our listeners. You may know that Independent Women's Forum is the leading national women's organization dedicated to enhancing people's freedom, opportunities, and well-being. But did you know that we are also here to bring you women and men on the go the news. You can listen to our High Noon podcast, an intellectual download featuring conversations that make a free society possible. Hear guests like Ben Shapiro and Dave Rubin discuss the most controversial subjects of the day, or join us for a happy hour with At The Bar, where hosts Inez Stepman and Jennifer Braceras chat on the latest issues at the intersection of law, politics, and culture. You can listen to past episodes at IWF.org or by searching for High Noon or At The Bar in your favorite podcast app. Well, Laura, I, I want to talk about another news issue that I have seen related to guns. And I think it's been concerning, especially as we are seeing first time gun owners, uh, the numbers for that increasing is that credit card companies want to do a certain line item for those who purchase guns. So not just putting in some general purchase category, but making it very specific. What do you make of credit card companies wanting to figure out how people are spending their money, especially in relation to guns? And how do you think that may be used by government? Yeah. And, th- and this is one of those um, those policies that I look at and and say, why are we targeting what goes on at gun stores when nearly 99% of those transactions are ordinary people like me and my neighbors who are going to buy a firearm? And um, we are the most law-abiding segment. So why all this scrutiny? Uh, unless there is some interest in the future um, in making law-abiding citizens, um, you know, the subject of scrutiny ourselves. So um, a little background on the story is uh, there's a a gun control group, Giffords group, maybe missing that second word, um, but it was founded by Gabby Giffords, uh, the uh, former congresswoman who uh, was shot and and badly injured at, at one of her campaign events. And so she founded a, uh, a, a gun contr- pro-gun control group. And so one of the things that they do is they pressure companies to do um, to do certain things. So in this case, they are pressuring credit card companies to say, instead of um, just calling a, a purchase at a gun store general merchandise, um, it needs to have its own separate code so that the, the uh, credit card companies and ostensibly so that it could be um, information subpoenaed, um, will easily be able to see what was. So some interesting things. So if I go, um, if I go into um, a big box um, sporting goods store, for example, that sells firearms, but it also sells tents and uh, shoes and all kinds of things. If I buy a firearm in that sort of a store, it's going to say general merchandise. Um, if I go to an actual gun store, it's going to um, have this different code um, for gun store. But what if I don't purchase a gun? What if I go in to purchase um, targets? 
uh, for a firearm I already have? What if I'm purchasing ammunition for a firearm I already have? Maybe a trigger lock, maybe a gun safe to keep my firearm safer in my house. Um, it, It doesn't distinguish between any of that. So all of these credit card companies just caved one after another. And, um, it's up to, um, law abiding gun owners like us to say to our credit card and start paying cash. And I think that's what gun stores will start seeing if this goes through is, uh, people, um, withdrawing cash to go purchase anything at a gun store um, so that the government's not in your business. Yeah. And I want to focus on a couple of more issues before I have you go today. One is that, and you you talk about this in the policy focus, again, that is called gun control doesn't keep us safer. You can find on IWF.org. But you talk about those who use guns as self-defense and how it often um, saves lives, but yet we don't hear about those stories. What can you tell us about guns saving lives? Because we only hear the news stories about when somebody kills using a gun. Yeah, there's a, a famous uh, study by the Centers for Disease Control, and you have to look kind of hard for it um, because they didn't publish it. They did this study and um, and then didn't publish it because they didn't like they didn't like the results. They didn't like the answers. Um, so there is a range that in, in this um, CDC study that says between 500,000 and 3 million times a year, firearms are used in self-defense. That is a very broad range. Um, there's been some analysis on it. Um, um, but if we, if we just take that at, it, at its base of 500,000 times a year, um, people use guns in self-defense. And by the way, it's not necessarily every person using a firearm in self-defense had to fire it. Um, maybe they just had it. Um, maybe they showed it. Maybe they threatened the use of it and it stopped a crime. Um, so you can see why there's that range because if a crime didn't happen, does it get reported? So, um, but really big numbers. And, and then you to round up, well, the, when somebody gets murdered in your um, neighborhood, in your, in your state, um, it is more interesting for the news to say, well, we're going to get a lot of eyeballs on this if we talk about somebody being killed um, in our area versus look at this hero that stopped something from happening. It's just not going to make as, as many headlines. And so we, um, and this is sort of the, the uh, separating the fact from the rhetoric is, you know, we, we see all this stuff, all this bad stuff on TV, but we, Almost never, unless you go looking for it, um, uh, we almost never see these stories of, of the crimes that were stopped. So a website that's um, on the last page of the policy focus, um, uh, crimeresearch.org, it's the, um, the, the I'm going to mess up all the words for it, but crimeresearch.org, um, where they document all of all kinds of stuff, but they, they have these articles Crime Prevention Research Center. There's the words. Um, but they have all of these articles from all over the country about um, people who stopped um, crimes um, by having a firearm. And they've even got a section on when mass shootings were stopped by an armed citizen. So there's a lot of great information, but you have to go look for it, which is why we put that on that last page of the policy focus. Yeah, it's an important part of it. And the last thing I want to talk about, because you brought this up and I thought this was important. And you said that our elected officials should make public safety the number one thing they focus on. So two questions on this. Why do you think that is the case? And number two, what are some signs that an elected official is doing their job in relation to public safety? 
Yeah, and that's a great question. So, so when you, I, I call them public servants. Other people call them elected officials or our leaders, um, but they, um, you know, when we look at all of the different things that, um, you know, let me look at like a city council, for example, what they might be focused on. I think they should be focused on um, police, um, fire, keeping all of us safe. When I look at local government and I see this imbalance where they're saying we don't have enough money for police, but look, we've got new statues in the park and we're um, putting new bike lanes in. And we're, I, I look at that and say, how do you not have enough money for police and fire when you're spending on all of these other things that seem not to be priorities. Um, and I would look at that at every single level. So they need to be focused on that. And when politicians um, who are doing the right thing and are focused on, on on public safety, what they're doing is they're looking at actual causes of crime. Um, and they're looking at the types of things that we've been talking about today, um, that taking um, taking the ability for law-abiding gun owners um, to defend themselves never um, has ever made anybody safer anywhere in um, not just the country, but in the world. Um, the Crime Research Prevention Center also has um, has uh, information about what's happened in, in countries that have completely um, uh, removed all of well, all of the guns. They didn't get them all, obviously, as we, we've seen some from some recent international stories, but um, that never works. So when when um, your public servants are making sure that that law abiding people aren't losing any rights and the laws are only going after criminals, then you know that your public servants are doing the right thing. And I think this is such an important policy focus for so many people to, first of all, have that measure for our public servants to see if they're upholding what they ought to be doing, but also to really help dispel a lot of the misperceptions about guns and gun control. We hear so much out there in the news and even from the people in our lives, it's important to have the factual information in front of you. And this policy focus does just that. Again, it is called Gun Control Doesn't Keep Us Safer. Author of that, Laura Carno, thank you so much for joining us us today and your work on this important issue. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. And thank you for joining us. Before you go, Independent Women's Forum does want you to know that we rely on the generosity of supporters like you. An investment in IWF fuels our efforts to enhance freedom, opportunity, and well-being for all Americans. So please consider making a small donation to IWF by visiting iwf.org backslash donate. That is iwf.org backslash donate. Last, if you enjoyed this episode of She Thinks, do leave us a rating or review. It does help. And we'd love it if you shared this episode so your friends know where they can find more she thinks. From all of us here at Independent Women's Forum, thanks for watching. 